Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. On today's show, we're talking about the weekend stuff because it's Monday. There are no people here who currently reside in the north part of the USA. But in the southern part of the USA, we have... Well, yeah, no, it is south, but it's not really that south. It's not deep south, is it, Nico? It's so deep south that it's not deep south anymore. I mean, technically, all the people who used to live in the deep south have kind of moved there with their political views, but um, (laughs) it's not that, is it? Uh, it's the sort of thing where the closer you get to the ocean, the more Spanish people you get, and then the, the farther north you get, then it becomes racist, then it's not racist anymore, and then it's Canada. Yeah, where it's extremely racist. <laughs> anyway, uh, Nico Morales is on the uh, show today, along with uh, the usual voice of Statman Dave. Statman, welcome. Thanks, Lawrence. Great How's it hanging, mate? It's hanging well. Um, to the left or to the right? It's well hung to the left. centrally. Um, anyway, uh, like my political views, uh, it's a Blairite. Anyway, um, it's time to get down to the weekend's football. Uh, we're going to be talking about games from all over Europe to go watch games from all over Europe. And we'll also be talking about the top games within the Premier League. Uh, a lot of good ones in there. Let's start at Etihad Stadium, the stadium that's actually in Manchester. Um, I'll get those emails. Uh, Nico, it finished, it finished one all uh, at the end of this one. And um, it was a scintillating game of football. Uh, people saying it was uh, not resting from end to end. Incredible, incredible. But tactically, how did that affect the game? Yeah, I think Guardiola took a little bit more of a, a defensive approach, going more with a back four. Usually we go th- with a 3-2-5 in a full possession sort of oriented game, but... Liverpool actually dominated, or not dominated, but had had a lion's share of the possession in this game, at least going into halftime. Um, and, and sort of how that, that affected the game is that Manchester City didn't get as much time and as much central penetration, but they enjoyed some uh, some chance creation from wide, you know, passing triangles between uh, the overlapping fullback and, and, and Leroy, depending on the side, Leroy Sané uh, and David Silva or KDB, uh, Raheem Sterling and uh, and Fernandinho or Barker Sanya, depending on the time of the game. But yeah, it was an interesting one. Uh, I think, you know, 1-1 is a, is a rep representative score because both teams had some fantastic chances you know if Aguero had finished then it would be 2-1 if Lallana had finished it'd be 2-1 so yeah, it, could have been, missed- it could have been more couldn't it it could have been it could have been say 3 or 4-1 and that probably would have put Liverpool to bed in this game because 
you know, City missed a lot of chances. And the fact is that actually the uh, City looked a lot more confident and a lot more um, dangerous going forward than they have in previous games against Liverpool. Yeah, but but Liverpool still had had some great chances, and they weren't just relying on sort of the the pressing their pressing actions to create chances. They played some beautiful football. Obviously, the goal that uh, or the goal that should have been the one that Adam Milana missed was a beautiful chip over the top by uh, I believe Coutinho or, or someone onto Roberto Firmino, and then back in the middle to Adam Milana, probably goal of the season if that goes in. So they played some good football as well. And I think um, although Manchester City probably created a bit more chances and and didn't concede as many chances as Liverpool. There's still uh, there's still plenty to be said about Jurgen Klopp's uh, on-ball playing style. As with any midfielder who's been uh, injured or maligned by a set of fans, Emre Chan has come in for some real criticism over the last few months and weeks uh, for maybe misplacing passes during games, and rightly so at times. But sometimes that's become almost vitriolic by some pundits. However, a lot of people saying he had a good game here, Nico. Why? Yeah, it's an interesting one because it's easy to get lost in that in that city midfield. The some of the midfielders are so are so high up in that general space that sort of a player like Emery Chan would would tend to contest other midfield players. Really, was only occupied by the likes of Yaya Toure and perhaps Fernand, Fernandinho. Uh, apologies and uh, or Galclichi, depending on the side that in which the ball was in. But I think he actually had a relatively good game. It's like I said, it's difficult to to combat that large space. But him uh, and the likes of Adam Milana and other players did well to to go forward. Dave, in this one, of course, KDB has been uh, in multiple positions where you've you've said he looks beautiful in that position. But over recent weeks, it's been about dropping deeper for him, where maybe he can influence more of the play. I think in, in terms of KDB, uh, he, he has played a little bit deeper. You think of the game against Monaco in the Champions League where he was sort of sitting next to Fernandinho. I think Pep kind of mixed it up towards the end of the game and put Silver a little bit deeper and KDB was pushed out wide when Sissi are really um, dominating the game. And again, you saw his strength. His strength is crossing the ball. The best KDB is a KDB that you get into those wide areas, either behind the opponent or just deep in midfield who's just going to sling balls into the box because whether it's, um, you know, whipped, whether it's drilled, whether it's uh, you know hung up to the back post. KDB has got unreal technique in his crossing. You can see his consistency as well in the Premier League. You know, Each season now for Manchester City he's consistently getting those assists. So it's one of those things where KDB's been in a little b- bad patch of form but I fully expect him for the rest of the year to, to start rocking and to start really racking up the assists. You know, 10 goals and 9 assists in a Premier League season, even though he's been a little bit out of form the last few months, he's still a decent record. So I expect City and uh, Pep Guardiola's side to really push on in this this sort of last two months of the season. Nico, Pep Guardiola said of John Stones, John Stones has more personality than anyone here in this room. He was speaking about a series of journalists. More balls <laughs> under pressure. I love him. Um, apparently Stones has the Stones. Yeah, and I think he uh, one one a part of that quote was that you know it's he criticized a little bit criticized himself. He says it's not easy for central defenders to play in my system. It's not easy, you know. Uh, other other you know that's central not, defenders. That's not self criticism. That's that's self adulation. <laughs> um, you know, he said other other central defenders. You know, all they do is you know hit the long ball into the channels. That's it, and then defend and header, and that's it. He says, you know, it's difficult to defend when there's forty yards behind you. He he has the 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 you know the the composure and the composition to take the ball. You know, if you look in the latter stages of the Monaco game and the latter stages of this game, when City needed to go forward and score a goal, they didn't just lump it forward. John Stones put the onus upon himself, went into central midfield, drove hard at the opposition, drew the press, and then tried to pass it to. A, uh, 
a more offensive minded player. And he's consistently done that in the past couple of games. And, and really that's the role that we need to see John stones is in making those, uh, making those packing passes, making those breaking lines passes. And I think he has every capability to do so. So good signs from John stones there. And I think Guardiola is spot on with, uh, with his love for stones there. Mm. Interesting stuff though. I mean, this, it's not really the ideal um, result for either side, is it, Dave? Because these guys are trying to break away from the the chasing pack. Well, it might not be good for Manchester City fans or Liverpool fans, Lawrence, but I was a happy boy come Sunday evening. Oh, you're um, an Arsenal fan, yeah. are you, Dave? Yeah, Arsenal, big, <laughs> big Arsenal fan. I'm going to start going down to Arsenal fan TV, I reckon. I reckon I'll get some subs out of that. What do you reckon, Lars? You know what, Dave? If you went down and put a silly cap on, I feel like you could get just as many subs as anyone else in that channel. <laughs> Do you reckon, actually, people will be able to hear this podcast so we can no longer do this prank, so we're not doing this prank. Anyway, Lawrence, um, I think Liverpool fans are going to be happy. You know, they, they, this is the first time since 95 since they've beat, they've gone unbeaten against the top six sides. They're top of that league with 20 points. You know, there is issues against weaker sides, but they're moving in the right way, Liverpool. If they can learn how to beat smaller teams, they could win the league next season. And then it's that small. It's that small thing that Jurgen Klopp needs to do. He needs to get another weapon in his arsenal. You think you think of a, a centre-forward could definitely be, you know, definitely p- push this Liverpool team on. You're thinking what Firmino did yesterday in front of a goal was pretty atrocious. Lallana missed that big chance. So there were moments where Liverpool could have won this game. You know, nicked one more goal, 2-0 up, sit back. City are going to be throwing bodies forward. Again, they're going to counter-attack and break and it could end up 4-5-0 to Liverpool. So it was that close. You think of the game that Everton played against Manchester City. The City capitulated after that second goal went in. So small margins in football. And I think a, a proper goal scorer, a goal scorer that fits Jurgen Klopp's, Klopp's system, would be, you know, someone like Lacazette would be absolutely perfect. Julian Brandt. Julian Brandt is a winger. Julian Brandt is a, is a wide player. Julian Brandt would be similar to what Coutinho is doing. Similar. No, I think I think what you what you need is you need you need Coutinho in the centre. You need Julian Brandt on the left. You need Firmino in the centre, and you need. Los, where's your target man? Dave, I, I'm not asking for a target man, Dave. <laughs> Why not, Lawrence? What, what if Liverpool was to just say, screw it, 70 for Lewandowski? 70. 70, yeah, that's about 120, minimum. How about, how about this? How about this? Yeah, but Dave, if- Dave, you don't seem to understand. This is the Premier League here. This is the Premier- oh. Everyone wants to play in the Premier League, Dave. You don't that understand. Is, I, I forgot. I forgot. No, sorry, Lawrence. That's easy. 70 mil, simple. Yeah. Sorry, what were you going to say, Nika? Before we stupidly... How, 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 how about this? Uh, someone, about someone, just just tag the uh, official Liverpool football Twitter account. They have a they have a look at my most recent article on Jurgen Klopp. He sees it. He says, "You know what? You're right, Nico. I do need to play uh, out of the back more with uh, with Carius or Mignolet, and they create more chances at the other end of the field because they're passing at the back. You see, sure, it's that sort of thing. Okay, so you're not they're offering really- anything towards the striker debate, though, Nico. No, I don't. I don't think they need a a, 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 pro, a quote unquote proven goal scorer. I think there's other ways to create space and create chances. I think a lot of times they they take the battering ram approach and they try to force through passes, which in turn exposes them uh, to to the to the likes of a Burnley or a Hull City on the on the break. And um, if you just look to create more space through different ways, obviously easier said than done. But if you look to create space as opposed to try to force through a difficult pass, then um, you're defensively a little bit more solid and also you're creating space so Origi's not that guy but uh, I just wish Divock could play, was playing more I think the injuries this season have really sort of forced him out the side it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see uh, we'll, yeah we'll see what happens there but both sides going away with a point apiece uh, Liverpool will probably feel the more lucky of the two sides 
Statistics say not, but I say Man City probably edged this one. Anyway, uh, let's go to a game where it was just edged in the Midlands. Uh, Dave, West Brom 3, Arsenal 1. And Arsene Wenger says, you'll know soon. But it feels like we already know. That Tony Pulis has got the beating of Arsene Wenger. I think that, that's, well, now, that's fact, been, right? that's been Dave, that's been a fact for some time now. I think in the last four games, Pulis has picked up two wins and uh, two draws. So he has got the beating of Arsenal in terms of the game, all done on set pieces. And it's something that Arsenal have consistently fallen down on against these teams that are a bit physical or do have some some big lads that they can, you know, put a good delivery into the box and score goals. You know, it's not it's not rocket science that, you know, West Brom score goals from set pieces. They've scored the most in the Premier League. To not have a plan to deal with their aerial assets is stupid. It's similar to the game against Bayern Munich where they didn't think about dealing with the fullbacks or the wide players. It's the strength of Bayern Munich this season. West Brom's strength this season is delivering balls into their penalty area from either wide set pieces or corners. And again, that's exactly how they undid Arsenal. And it was it was just too simple. Again, it was a, it was a, it was a simple beating that Arsenal received once again. And you look at someone like Zakaru stepped in and, and, and tried to control the middle of the park, obviously got a wonderful assist, but is there anyone else in that midfield that was helping him out? You know, the likes of Oxide chamberlain who's still under this uh, an experiment, should I still call, of, of playing in a central area that's just not getting to his strengths. His, his strengths, his raw pace, his ability to go past the man. Why you're trying to put that in central midfield, I'll never know. It that's must the be, qualities of a wide player. It's, I mean, in Nico, Nico, in many ways, it's plain to see, isn't it? Plain to see what exactly, sorry. <laughs> it's just too, it's almost too plain to see. <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm not catching what you're putting down. <laughs> um, it's almost too plain, flying with a banner, to see. Oh, 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 the planes. The Good planes that flew dick. over the uh, okay. <laughs> the, the Emirates. Uh, yeah, those yeah, were two of them. So, you know what? They, democracy is still alive and well, Nico. That was uh, one of them was in support, and one of them was 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 not right. Yeah, hence why democracy is like no, no. They were both one of them was in support, and one said in Venga we trust, and one said right. blood, 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 fam. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, you can't you can't criticize the way he speaks. You know, no, I'm, I'm not. I just think it'd be funny if that was what was trailing behind a plane. Um, <laughs> I, I I just wonder, especially if he was the one who made the call. Uh, Venga out, blood. Sorry, how are you spelling that? No, no, don't put blood on the end, blood. Wait, sorry, 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 what? Yeah, let's just spell it B-L-U-D, just so that we save a letter. Okay, it's cheaper. Um, do you, I mean, I, you sort of see what these guys are saying on Arsenal Fan TV. I mean, Dave said it a few weeks ago, maybe Arsenal Fan TV do have a point. You sort of get the feeling you throw enough shit at a wall, then in the end, some sticks. But, it, it, Nick, I mean, I'm slightly concerned that actually now Arsenal Fan TV is just becoming... I mean, it's, I mean, it obviously it obviously represents the voice of the people in some way, but at the same time, people aren't joking when they say Robbie's getting a new kitchen. Yeah, they're not, uh, and and I think you've made the point many times before that Robbie probably needs to do a better job of synthesizing the 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 voice the voice of the fans a little bit better. Um, at the same time, you know, it, it's consistently validating sort of the van the fan hierarchy apologies um 
in the sense that we consistently see the same guys there. And then he, he interviews other people with the ones with the most views on them is, is these guys, the, the, the DTs and the, and I don't know the other names of the guys, but it's, it's just getting a little old, isn't it? And I think it's still lacking analysis. It's still lacking context. It's still, uh, to be honest with you, I think Arsenal is having a, a classic Arsene Wenger season. It's just that better managers have come to the Premier League and a better top four has come to the Premier League. And now, Interesting. Arsenal okay. might actually finish outside of the top four. So you're saying the environment's changed, Arsenal haven't? Yeah, pretty much. And I think that's consistent with, with what we can say about Arsene Wenger is that, you know, his tactics are a bit archaic and that's starting to show. And so is the league. Hmm. Okay. Um, I don't quite know why to say that because actually what I, what I almost want to know is um, what would you do with this Arsenal side? Well, I, I think as Dave and I spoke on his podcast, it's it's probably time for a different football person to come in in terms of a managerial status. But as Dave mentioned before, I have to get all give all the credit to him. It's one of those things where we see so many Premier League clubs have uh, a manager that takes care of all the sort of transfers and all the many 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 aspects of the club that perhaps not one person should have where as opposed to you know different clubs in in Italy and Spain and other other places like that you know they have their manager and then they also have their director of football and other people taking taking different decisions for the club and essentially what that does is that it alleviates or limits the risk that or, or sort of the turnover that can happen when you have a different manager come in so one manager wants all these players and then another manager comes in because he's been sacked and they have to change the entire idea so I think perhaps Arsene Banger as sort of a sporting director or director of football and then having someone like a Tuchel or a Simeone or whoever you want to throw you know throw their hat in the ring would be an excellent idea because no one knows Arsenal better than Arsene Banger and I think that would be a good way to sort of grandfather him out of the managerial position. Some people under the impression uh, and it is an interesting impression that because of where Wenger sits in the hierarchy in the club and the lack of a David Dean figure he's the one who's making these calls which is why when people are talking about Wenger will be the one to make the decision whether he goes or stays and people are questioning that there's an unusual feeling about that from outside the club yeah and I, I just don't know if that's the correct I don't know if that's the correct I think many people have painted it as you know he's pretty much deciding if he wants to stay or go and he's done so much for the club that the board isn't going to tell him to leave and I just think that's not necessarily true. I think they're, the, the board is making decisions that benefit them and it happens to benefit Arsene Wenger, but in no way is he sort of like self-employed that people, that people are claiming he is. Interesting stuff. Uh, well, West Brom, <sighs> I mean, at the same time, Arsenal fans need to show some sort of respect to West Brom, uh, but we'll find, find out more about that. West Brom climb even higher in the table to within just seven points of Arsenal. Uh, and you know what? 13 of Liverpool not against them passing and getting into uh, top four. <laughs> I think that would be brilliant. And then the greatest Premier League season ever, that. And Dave, you're forgetting Leicester City. Um, but, um, absolutely not. Tony Pulis, West Brom, gets into the Champions League. That is outclassing Leicester City winning you know the Premier League. For yeah. Me, that. yeah, it's not really it's beautiful. Away. Especially looking at that side. Although we said exactly the same about <laughs> Leicester. That's uh, yeah, fun. Yeah, I mean, they find themselves just 26 points off top spot. It's on, Dave. Easy. It's on. Easy. Um, it's, it's, it's absolutely on. John Cross of the Mirror says um, Arsene Wenger will stay. Sometimes I feel like journalists aren't doing their job 
some people seem to think that clickbait becomes part of a journalist's job. I blame Rupert Murdoch. Um, where's the BBC in all this? I hear you ask. They're just busy tweeting memes um, in order to at least try and stay relevant to get the charter renewed. Well done. Well done. Uh, they do a great job every day. Match of the day is fine. Um, what am I supposed that to say? It's fine. It is. No, what that's it, a good way to put it. What do you think? It's fine. It's fine. That's, it. that's it's, the best way to sum up. It's fine. It's sort of like if Match of the Day did a better job, you wouldn't need us. Do you know what I mean? It's true. It's true. Keep being fine, Match of the Day. Keep being fine. Keep keep being, yeah. I mean, I'm glad that they got Robbie Savage off, but yeah. Uh, never mind. Uh, anyway, uh, Stoke City 1, Chelsea 2. Uh, Nico, this one is... Um, it's going to be it's going to be tricky for people when they look back at the end of the season to say we saw turning points. But I weirdly almost Stoke City were almost the the tripping point for Chelsea. Yeah, almost. But even if they had you know faltered a little bit here at Stoke City, which like I mentioned on the, on the previous podcast, Stoke City have a plan for the big teams, and and it's they have the they have talented enough players where they can execute that plan and almost get points against the against the top six you know i think they they have positive results against manchester united both times this season and and they held uh, manchester city to a draw to a goalless draw which is uh pretty surprising i think they're the only team to hold manchester city uh goalless this season or one of the only teams but um yeah even if they had faltered i don't really see there much of a danger for them since there's such a cushion between them and second so uh but you know chelsea consistently performing both defensively and offensively because of the brilliance of their system and also because they don't have that added pressure of the extra competitions that the rest of the top six do. So credit to Jose Mourinho for putting his ex-club into a position where they could thrive. Dave, what I've quite enjoyed is the almost double overloading of the wings from Conte throughout the season now. With Well, originally it was just the left wing, really, with Alonso and whoever, and then Victor Moses on the other side. But now they've got Willian back. Now they have Willian and Victor Moses mm. on the other side, and then Alonso and Pedro on the other side. I think it's a, it's sort of you sort of starting to see Williams' quality. He was really good against United as well in the FA Cup. He created more chance than any play on the pitch. It was six that day, and again against um, Stoke, he scored the vital goal. But creatively, was very very good. And it's a, it's a position that really suits Williams' game. Game. He's he's a winger that you know likes to operate at number ten. He has played number ten in his career. He played at number ten for Shakhtar. In fact, I think he scored against Chelsea in that position. Um, and it suits him drifting inside. It suits him being a bit freer under Mourinho. He had a lot of defensive responsibilities. Now he's given a bit of freedom under Conte. So it's kind of working out for for William with Hazard out as well. You need those players to step up, and they are. And I think that's what we're seeing with this Chelsea squad. Is like Nico saying. Mourinho did build a squad that won the Premier League. Obviously, they had a terrible year last year, but they still have that quality that they can get to these high levels. Just want to give a shout out to Jeff Cameron. Like Nico mentioned, the the different approach against these bigger sides. Jeff Cameron against um, Chelsea had some cracking stats, like some real blinders. He completed 57% of his passes, which is pretty atrocious. Um, But more importantly, he won six tackles on the pitch. That was more than any other player. So it's it's kind of an interesting one. Jeff Cameron, always a centre-back is played in central midfield uh, with Joe Allen. It's quite an interesting approach from Mark Hughes, but it seems to work a bit in a way, you know, in terms of turning the ball over and, you know, pressurising the likes of Kante and Matic. So it's it's an interesting one. And Stoke are just going to be stuck in mid-table this season. Are they stuck though? Is, is, is... Well, yeah, they are. <laughs> what, what, but it, but that's not that's not a bad that's not a bad place for them. I mean, like they're they're not gonna they don't have the monetary ability to compete with the likes. And and realistically, if they tried to compete with Europe, it would 
from a financial aspect and from a squad aspect, it would, uh, you know, imbalance their team and probably throw their Premier League season for a bit of a, a some negative performances because of that. And so I think from a monetary perspective, I've heard a number of uh, sort of data analytics people say, you know, if you're want to be frugal in the Premier League, then just stay mid table. Don't get relegated. Don't or and, and don't do too well because you can stay consistent. Keep making money. I don't know if it's necessarily the criticism, which may be is taking I mean the word stuck maybe implies it's some sort of negativity but the, the, you would say that Mark Hughes uh, there are times where Mark Hughes looks more like a conceptual manager than a um, a practical manager mm, in okay in that he Why, just in that? that he he seems to uh, stuff and I mean like Dave says which works you know the midfield sort of works and you kind of think well they lost 2-1. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's, there's, sometimes there's a, I think they're doing well enough where they are, to be honest with you. I, th- I think sometimes people are a little bit, they're, they're looking to find something wrong with every single side. And I don't know. I mean, well, I mean, I, do you get much satisfaction from Stoke? Do you think the fans get much satisfaction from Stoke? I mean, they compete with the top teams, and in a season or two, maybe they can go on a cup run or something like that, and that's fine. But they're not going to ever be like so. Everton, for example, they're not. They're seventh right now, and they're the best of the rest. They have the best. Uh, their results against the rest of the top six is better than anyone else's in the Premier League. There's mm-hmm. like a separate table that I saw uh, on Twitter the other day, and. I think that's a comfortable spot for them because people are talking about Kuman competing with the top six. There's no way in hell that he's ever going to compete with the likes of consistently compete with the likes of Arsenal, regardless of the manager that they get or, or don't get United, Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea and Spurs. He's just not. He doesn't have the players to do it. They don't have the monetary backing to do it. They would be unstable if they went on a late European run and tried to balance three competitions like they're the best of the rest, and that's okay. I think the issue, yeah. though, is that a few people have, I think maybe historical trends have linked the idea that being the best of the rest some, sometimes leaves you in a much more precarious position than maybe pushing on. And being stuck in that feeling of, well, here we are for too long can sometimes lead to um, inertia in some way with the club. But but, but beseeching sort of... and and throwing out one of those stalwarts of essentially what is the top six is much more difficult than people claim it is. I think West Ham with the fantastic season that they had last year, I heard a number of times that people were saying that they were going to maybe, maybe they were going to break into the top, the top six and be one of the consistent competitors if they can keep this up and they can get this monetary reward and they can do Who this, and this move. Who said that? Uh, various, various journalists. It, it's something that I heard quite consistently. And I just, I don't think it's as, e- it's not as easy as, people people realize i think it's it first of all from a money monetary perspective it's a massive massive undertaking i think that, even uh, yeah i mean think i think about I, doing that. i agree with what you're saying there but i also think i think i think people see i think people see certain managers maybe a jürgen klopp someone like that mm-hmm. and they feel like maybe a manager like that at a club like Stoke would be an interesting combination and maybe it would be a more exciting ride than a manager like Klopp although you know maybe um, maybe Mark Hughes sort of sees himself in a Klopp-like mould or a mould maybe he sees himself as a more continental manager and in England Perhaps, maybe that's yeah. why he's less palatable um, 
Also, uh-huh. maybe why he plays certain midfielders in that combination. Um, anyway, Dave, uh, let's talk a little bit about Manchester United. Uh, two of the most maligned players of the season uh, dragged Manchester United through. Uh, and ultimately, when other players couldn't put the ball in the goal, uh, they shoved it in. Middlesbrough won, Manchester United three. All right, with your propaganda. Oh, United crept over the line. They were rubbish. No, no, one, said, fact, no, Lawrence, no one said we played five Dave, in the back in the second half. Any of those words. <laughs> I've got lots of propaganda for you anyway today, Lawrence. As Paranoid. everyone does like Manchester United propaganda. Uh, the first up, Wamata. You know, playing as a as a number ten in the first half, excelling in the, in a four four one one. Then United switched to the five four one, and Wamata excelled playing. Um, as a wide midfielder, he created more chances than any other player in the Premier League this weekend. But the real star of the show was Jess Lingard, who picked up some really good space. I think that's something that Jess Lingard has got. His, his best quality is his ability to find the right space. You know, you go to the game against West Brom, where another game that he really excelled was he was running in behind and he was stretching West Brom's centre outside uh, fullbacks that are actually centre halves. They are big lads. So Jess Lingard running it in behind those guys was a really good option for United tactically. Similar to the game against Middlesbrough, Jess Lingard was drifting inside into like counter-attacking spaces really well. It was sort of exactly what Chelsea do with Hazard and with Willian um, or Pedro, whoever's playing in the positions. Chelsea defend with a back seven. They put defend with a back five, the two central midfielders in front. They sort of allow these uh, you know, three attackers to cheat in a way, and that's how United scored their second goal. You see United turn the ball over, Jess, uh, Jess Lingard move inside, while Mata move inside. They're both in the number 10 slot together. Eric Bay wins a great tackle, drives through the centre of um, the, the pitch, plays a pass to Lingard, and then obviously the Lingard goal comes from that. But it's all about how tactically Mourinho is evolving this side. And again, yes, he's a defensive manager, but he's getting the results. And I think that's something that United fans need to just accept that this football is going to be different to what we've seen before. But it's not a bad thing. You know, ta- Chelsea have been the best team this season playing on the counter-attack. They've been boring in, in stages. They've been defensive in stages. They're not boring. I don't find it boring. It's boring with the media. Uh, puts it boring across but in terms of Manchester United they are playing this way they are playing a five at the back and I don't think there's anything wrong with that with the emergence of two strikers two striker systems so I think it's a good thing for United and United played very well and deserved the win um, it was capped off by the Victor Valdez slip and mistake but the performance was very good I think United dealt well with uh, all Middlesbrough threw at them Middlesbrough were quite poor in, in my opinion they were a bit too basic in the final third just sling crosses into the box when you know when you had Gaston Ramirez on the ball in the wide area you know he produced the best moment of the game for them cutting in and having a shot that was well saved from David De Gea so it's going to be an interesting rest of the season for Borough but for me they're down gone see you later it's as if they recently got rid of the manager yeah crazy what you've, you've sacked him now in March crazy absolutely crazy it's almost as if they were too correlate um dave uh, was there a biting incident in this game i don't know i looked at, i looked at, i didn't notice a biting incident but you know i'm not like a someone that spots biting that's probably your cup of tea lawrence <laughs> are you are you saying you haven't seen this dave i honest, honestly i honestly have not this is i've completely missed this biting incident and it was on Mourinho. Was that was that why it kicked off? Is it? it, it I know it kicked off between um, Rudy Gestead, but I thought it was just cuddling him. I didn't realise he went for the the absolute Luis Suarez. No, I, felt, I mean Nico, did you see this? I felt a little bit like Gestead sort of. I don't know why. I don't know if he kissed him on the neck, but it looked like it was an open mouth kiss. If it was, didn't see it at all. Oh, did not see it. He at says all. he had some words with him afterwards. You kiss your girlfriend, Lawrence. Uh, I mean, it, it, would be, mouth, it, it would be one technique of kissing your girlfriend. I mean, it's not. there's not just one technique, Dave, but I suppose it could be a an employed technique. <laughs> um, and then it all kicked off. 
Just saying. I reckon Eric Bay would absolutely destroy Rudiger Stead 1v1. Oh, in the I just off. watched it. It looked like he bled him. It does look that way, doesn't it? I mean, but then Bay doesn't react in that way. In that yeah, he, he just walks away he perfectly fine. No, he doesn't. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He doesn't act like he was bitten. Though. I mean, if you were bitten on the neck, it almost looks like he spat on him. It's unusual. I mean, it's an unusual form of attack. Um, <laughs> uh, not from a not from a Liverpool perspective. So. No, no. It's wow. Classic okay. Uh, underhanded from a club with no history, but okay. Um, I mean, it's. It, what about that though? I mean, uh, apparently Eric Bay and uh, Ramirez afterwards made up. Dave, and apparently they know each other quite well, so maybe that's why they were so intimate. Oh, maybe, maybe they're. I keep forgetting. I keep forgetting that you've not seen this incident, Dave, and therefore you can't comment on it. They, they, they didn't. They didn't make up, Dave. They tried to fight each other in the tunnel. I think that's no. They did. Uh, they did try to. No, they tried to. They said they spoke afterwards. Well, I, I saw a video of them fighting in the tunnel just now. So. Okay. Well, then, honestly, right? Would you take, start a fight these. with someone like Eric Bay? It looks like a nutter. He'd absolutely destroy you. Maybe I'd, destroy, I'd destroy Eric Bay, Bay easily. Do you think? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'd get wrecked. <laughs> okay. Um, let's go to uh, North London. Not literally, though that would be nice. Uh, 2-1 to Tottenham in the end against Southampton. Uh, Dave, now there is not emphasis on, say, Harry Kane. We see emphasis coming from the midfield. The, 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 uh, the responsibility which we uh, see fall onto Deli Ali and Christian Eriksen was one that they very much took up. Mm, yeah, the, the Christian Eriksen goal was, was a thing of real beauty. Christian Eriksen coming in from that right-hand side and pinging a shot from about 30 yards into the bottom corner. But it was a real good performance from Spurs. They didn't really, you know, they Southampton got back into the game with the Ward-Prowse goal, but then Spurs just took control and took the sting out of it. Big miss is going to be Gabbiadini for Southampton, who uh, looked like he was about to put the ball in the back of the net, in fact, and, and pulled up with an injury. But I do think those two midfielders behind, playing behind Son are going to be so crucial in the next few months. You know, the stats pre-game were, were massive in favour of Harry Kane. You know, the, the goals got to 2.09 um, from one when Kane is in the side. The win rate goes up from 40% to um, 64%. But this is a really good first performance and it's a different shape than they had at the start of the season. They're playing this three at the back, four in midfield, uh, two behind, one forward. So it could work a little bit better without uh, Kane because the, the, the problem before was that they, it would, wouldn't stick up front. The band of three behind Harry Kane, were a li- when Harry Kane wasn't in the side, sorry, when someone else was playing as a centre forward, just wasn't sticking with him. The likes of Janssen, the ball was just coming back into midfield. But when Son is so close to Dele Alli and Christian Eriksen, you can pop those little passes off. You can make the ball stick in that final third. So it's going to be an interesting proposition, but Son is a, is a good player. Technically a very, very good player. And if he can vacate that space and allow the likes of Dele Alli to steamroll through and put the ball in the back of the net, then why not? In terms of goals, Dele Alli again, um, right up there with the best young players in world football. He scored 14 goals in the Premier League. No player in Europe's top five leagues has scored more and under the age of 21, the other player, of course, Timo Werner at Red Bull Leipzig, who are having a pretty terrible, terrible spell at the moment. Three three games without a win. More on that in just a minute. Um, Nico, Ben Davis, he's good. Ben Davies, yeah. Sure. Um, he's, he's, yeah, I think uh, it's one of those things where Poch is looking to add some depth to his system. And we talk about the importance of, of sort of the, like David mentioned, it's it's a 3-4-3, 3-5-2 at times uh, with those wingbacks being an essential part of that 
uh, part of that team and Kyle Walker and Danny Rose and finding replacements for those players is extremely difficult. But Ben Davies is a young player that's actually come through. And this game, I was relatively impressed with him. He's got some good passing movement. He's able to get get up and down the line, both offensively and uh, defensively very well and make some, make some really solid passes. So, you know, just going forward and adding some depth to a Tottenham team that could compete on multiple fronts. I think Ben Davies is a good uh, sort of backup backup option and perhaps even future starting option uh, to the likes of Danny Rose that could, you know, suffer from an injury or, or, or something like that. So, uh, yeah, Ben Davies is a exciting prospect. He sure is. Uh, and also, well, actually less of an exciting prospect, more of someone who was, who was brought to come in to challenge the fullback, which was already there in front of him. Uh, and then when that fullback... Uh, has not been in the team for a while for very obvious reasons uh, he's he's stepped up um, now Dave let's go to how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Leicestershire and Leicester City, uh, who visited Londonshire and uh, West Ham City. Um, And they won 3-2. Is this because West Ham were poor or Leicester were good? Well, I think it's the uh, Claudio Ranieri effect, Lawrence McKenna. You know, they sacked him and, uh, you know, the players are completely right. They should have got rid of him, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> no, I, I, this Leicester team still, I, I don't trust them. I don't trust them at all. I think they're going to be hot for a little bit and then they're going to get cold again. Um, I think there'll be a, a bit of momentum for six games, let's say, and then it will drop off. I think it's that one of those things. That could be enough to keep them up though, this is a big thing. I think they'll stay up. I definitely think they're going to stay up. They're better than the rest of the teams around there. Like I mentioned before, Borough are absolute rubbish. So Hull are good, but I don't think they're good enough. And then Sunderland are in absolute freefall. So they're my three teams that are going to go down. So Leicester have no problem there. They're just going to be gearing towards playing in this Champions League. So they've all got to play for their places. So you're going to see this level of performance for Jamie Vardy, uh, you know, grabbing a goal and an assist, back in form in some way. But West Ham are just in some really weird form themselves as well. You know, they've had these peaks and troughs under Billich where they'll go on a, a six-game winning run and they'll go on a seat. It's sort of a little bit like Adlam Pardew in a way where that Newcastle team that came fifth in the Premier League similar to Billich's first season and then we're seeing the second season of Pardew, the second season of Billich of them being so hot and cold in and out. You know, one season they're absolutely smashing teams, the next week they're not but so forth. A player you know, that, that could be a, a shining light for West Ham if they want to, you know, 
get their form up is going to be Lanzini because he's he has stepped up since Dimitri Payet has uh, has left the club and he's really becoming their their focal point of their attack. But again, you know, five five games without a win, it's not looking good for West Ham in, just in terms of the rest of the season. You know, the players already in um, flip flop mode. I can't remember who was saying that. It was a an interview. I think it might have been um, Phil Neville that was talking about. Everton when he finished the season. Yeah, it was. Like it was. Whenever, yeah. He was saying, "Yes, they're already in their flip. They're already in their flip flops. Already on the holiday." And it seems like West Ham, because they're safe in mid table, they're already on holiday. They've done their job, and and you know we're going to see some poor performances towards the end of the season. Fantastic. Uh, I mean, at least we all know. Yeah, exactly. Simple. West Ham fans might as well not show up to London Stadium. <laughs> Save some cash. Good point. Very good point. Uh, elsewhere, Everton won four nil. Uh, Romelu Lukaku at the centre of it all and just after I mean I mean, come on Nico just after you've said hey I don't want to stick around you then go and put in a performance which makes people want you to stick around I mean yeah he's been an excellent player for pretty much the entire time that he's been at Everton and he continues to show his quality though uh, Hull City didn't do themselves any favour and, and uh, though they're pretty much nailed on to go down now. I, I still think uh, Marco Silva would be a good prospect for for another club out there, possibly in the Premier League. So, I mean, possibly who? Uh, West Ham. Maybe if they, if they don't go down. <laughs> uh, Maybe West Ham would be good. Yeah, West Ham won't go down. They're already in their flip flops. Come on, Lawrence. Um, <laughs> uh, let's go. Let's go somewhere else in Europe, shall we, guys? Uh, where would you like to go first in Europe, Dave? Oh, maybe, maybe to Spain. It's uh, been a bit cold today in London, so maybe we go to Spain for a bit of warmth. Let's go to Spain, literally. Uh, let's cross over to uh, talk a little bit first then about Real Madrid table topping Real Madrid, Dave. Yeah, they they played Bilbao at the new uh, San Mamés, and it was a it was a cracking game, a real game of high intensity. It's something that you don't expect um, in La Liga is is. T- teams to really go out there and, and have a real battle in a way and that's what this uh, Bilbao team sort of give you they give you a real fight with players like uh, Adariz and Raul Garcia being that first line of pressure that are really physical players and they were getting in the faces of these Real Madrid superstars and it made for a really good game uh, Nico ultimately in that game um, I mean just just looking through it uh, the, the defensive organisation um, mm-hmm. and then uh, what about Inaki Williams as a real prospect yeah, I think Dave and I spoke about this game earlier, but it's one of those things that, you know, um, Valverde has been linked with, with Barcelona over the past coming weeks. And uh, watching this game, trying to pick out something that would really stand out as a Barcelona-type coach didn't really strike me. But one thing that did strike me about his about his team is sort of the defensive organization. The difference between... Uh, so basically, one thing that you want to keep if you want to be defensively solid, if you don't want to concede goals, is is some uh, com- vertical vertical compactness between your two defensive banks. And so um, keeping keeping space in between those banks doesn't allow for offensive players to have a lot of space in dangerous areas. And essentially what Bilbao did, since they did like to hold a, a high four-man line, is that if there was a lot of space in behind in between, in between their goalkeeper and the first line of defense, then they had a intense one-man press to sort of eliminate any possibility of a long ball coming over the top uh, and allowing someone like Ronaldo or Benzema or Bale to use their pace and, and get in behind. Um, but if they had enough space uh, between the goal or 
a small amount of space between the goalkeeper and the first line of defense. Then they uh, tried to hold and uh, block passing lanes and, and get the ball back by those means. They also high pressed, which was uh, relatively interesting. But as you know, a prospect for a uh, Barcelona manager, I didn't see anything special. But Barcelona's sort of jobs are embroiled in politics, so maybe it has something to do with that. But and Yaki Williams is another player that impressed. You know, he had a he, he's the type of flair player that doesn't use his his skills and tricks in a in a flashy way, but more in a uh, sort of functional way. And he there was a number of times where he was legitimately outnumbered two to one, three to one, and he still got away and he still got an excellent cross into the likes of uh, Raul Garcia and our 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 Dewey's. Uh sorry, mispronouncing that there. <laughs> but um, he was uh he was he was pretty excellent, but one thing that sort of struck me is perhaps him not being used to to his full potential. As I was speaking to earlier uh, with Dave, is that he he has incredible pace and reminds me of sort of like an early Real Sociedad Antoine Griezmann, being that he has immense pace and maybe if he was using it in a in a counterattacking systems, perhaps a, a Manchester United, um, he could utilize that pace in a in a deep backfield over the top and and really maybe perhaps work on his finishing and perhaps become more of a goal scorer. Um, but right now he's in a Bilbao team that seek to dominate possession even against the likes of Real Madrid. So an interesting one for sure. Hmm, certainly so, Dave. Should we go to um? Should we go to France? Oh no, wait. We got to talk about Casemiro, Lawrence, because oh, he was a wonderful game. Okay, he was unbelievable. Um, you know, this player every time that that Real Madrid needs someone that's a bit of a fighter, needs someone that's physical in that central midfield. You know, games like this, he just comes up, trumps every single time. He's so physical. He's so aggressive. Absolutely. Fantastic at winning the ball back in whatever situation. Again, it was a fantastic performance. He won uh, eight out of his ten tackles, made four interceptions, four clearances, and obviously grabbed the, gr- the crucial goal. Uh, another set piece from Tony Cruz, another goal. Simple as pie for Real Madrid. But as well, the ball for the, the first goal wasn't played by Luka Modric, wasn't played by Tony Cruz. In fact, it was played by, of course, Casemiro. And I, you know, credit to the lad, I didn't think he had that such great level of passing range but he does and he's a player that's really improved over the last few seasons uh, in European football and credit to him it's it's hard work that's got him there that's a miraculous uh, Dave should we go to Liga Liga not literally oui. Uh, oui. Uh, Monaco beat can uh, 3-0 on Con, Con. what you call me uh, 3-0 on Sunday afternoon with Mbappé Grabbing another brace. Uh, Dave, is Javier Pastore Emery's saviour at PSG? It could be, you know. He really could be. Um, a fantastic performance against Lyon. was wonderful uh, playing as a number 10. He has been injured this season. And I kind of think, you know, if, if he'd been fit for the whole year, would they have got a bit further in the Champions League? Would they have, you know, progressed a bit further in Liga? Because he really suits them, you know. Before uh, Eva Benegra, obviously, at Sevilla is a... Not a similar type player, but plays a very similar role in the system where he's given a complete free role. Defensively, will press from the front, but will drift wide, will drift to the left, drift to the right. And we saw some two fantastic moments from Pastore that won, uh, won PSG the game. Two assists that were brilliant. The first one, a 1-2 with Di Maria, then across the box. Second one, just drifting around, playing a little 1-2 with Verratti, getting himself into space behind their right fullback then playing a ball across, and it was simple, but it was really effective football for PSG. You know, Cavani didn't have a sniff in that game, and that's a big thing for PSG this season. If Cavani's usually their main man, but with Pastore back in the side, everything was going through him, and it was a sort of classic number 10 Argentinian performance, and if they can get him fit next year, Champions League, and they keep Emery, could be a real, you know, a real thing that they can step up to. Do you think they will keep Emery? 
I don't know. I really don't. I, you know, speaking to Nico before, uh, just talking about how it could be, you know, this, this Leon game could have been his last game. If Leon had beaten them and PSG potentially had not, you know, been six points adrift of Monaco, that could have been lights. But it's, it's one where this team isn't an Emery team yet at all. It doesn't have the feeling of it. it. had the feeling of it in that first leg. But that's the only time that I've watched them and gone, right, that actually feels like an Emery team in terms of how aggressive they are, how defensively sound they are. The players are there. I think it's just going to take time. PSG have been a bit boring over the recent recent years, playing with like Laurent Blanc or whoever as, as manager playing that 4-3-3. Just, just sort of boring teams to death, the likes of Thiago Motta, you know, Rack racking up 100 passes per game. That's not really an Emre system. It's not really an Emre team. Emre teams are a lot more direct, a lot more, you know, down the flanks, let's score a goal quickly. So it's going to be interesting as well to see if he can beat these smaller teams as well as beating these bigger teams. But again, it's applying his methodology to this PSG team. And again, Cryovac, where the hell has he gone? He's one of the best central midfielders in world football last season. And now he's just, I don't know what he's doing, chilling in Paris. Is part of the problem, Dave, that actually this PSG team maybe don't look the way that the PSG hierarchy want them to look. So Emery, Emery's a nice dream, but he's, he's sort of practically, it, it, they sort of want a more Real Madrid-esque side. Yeah, it's going back to what we were talking about before, how the director of football European model at PSG obviously isn't working. You know, they had Leonardo in there, now they've got Cliver in there. They're both buying completely different players and they're not buying players that suit their manager. Why don't they have two really physically imposing defensive midfielders? That is what Emery has built his whole footballing managerial career on, is having two really powerful defensive midfielders and then an attacking midfielder that can um, float around and create and then two hard-working wide players. You know, the signing of Julian Draxler, yeah, he's a, he's a luxury player. Yeah, he scored at the weekend. But is he an Emery player? Maybe at number 10, but not on the wing. So it's one of those things where, again, they're not fitting. The club has to have a philosophy and PSG don't have a philosophy at the moment. That's something that they need to establish before they can really compete at the top level. All their signings are going to be so vast, so different that one manager will come in, they'll suit one manager, and the next manager comes in, there's going to be another. It's just one of these like merry-go-rounds of managers for them. They're not yep. going to get structure and time because they've got a great academy as well. It's a weird thing. Like Why why have they not just put their, the philosophy of the academy onto the rest of the club? It seems really disjoint. You almost realise realize how uh, lucky Chelsea were to get Conte. Yeah, in a, way, in a way you are. You know, him taking what was a, a sort of defensive-minded squad and really working with the players and turning them into world beaters in a way. So it, it is kind of, it's quite interesting. Um, but Chelsea, again, their academy is so disjoint from their first team. Massive how many players have come through that have looked talented in recent years that have been pushed on. Like, you know, Solanke is not even anywhere near the first team after breaking all sorts of records at youth level. Same with uh, Tammy Abrahams, who's scoring shed loads of goals for Bristol City this season. Again, those two players could have been useful um, when, you know, Bashuai scored one goal in, in the Premier League so far this season. I imagine Solanke and Am Ambro Ambrose, not Ambrose, yeah. Abraham would have scored more goals than just a single goal. So it's a weird one with Chelsea's system not matching up with actually their first team philosophy. I'd say what Ambrose would have done in any league, um, <laughs> but... Hey, we'll never City know. youngster called Ambrose, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah there is. Yeah. Yeah. Darren Ambrose. Darren Ambrose, yeah. Um, One season on Footmaster, I turned him into Sergio Aguero. Seriously, he's unbelievable. <laughs> what a talent you are, Dave. Very believable. I'm highly Can believable. I just speak to the Emery thing, Lauren? Yeah. I, I think I, I sort of agree with Dave, and I sort of disagree with Dave in a sense that I think we're sort of seeing a, an evolution from Emery. He's a he's a relatively young manager when it comes to um, to the managerial game. I believe he's in his forties, and I think what we're seeing is 
his transition from being at a Sevilla, which maybe when they're not playing the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid in La Liga, you know, they're still dominating possession, but they're not a completely dominant team to a PSG that, like you said, you know, maybe the board is looking to have that team be a little bit more Galactico-esque and, and maybe that evolution from being that pressing and countering team to sort of dominating possession, sort of switching back and forth between those two so that they can adequately compete across all the competitions that PSG want to succeed in is is one of those things that's going to take some time. It's going to take some time to be able to switch back and forth between those two styles within a, a game or two. And I think if Emery is able to, to nail that down and, and sort of nail that approach down, that dynamic approach that we've seen is so consistent with uh, treble winners um then we're, we're looking at one of the best coaches uh best coaches going so i have faith in emory i think he'll do well uh in the coming years at psg so yeah, interesting stuff uh well let's go further around europe and go to syria where juventus won one nil against sampdoria in the end it was a seven minute goal from quadrado um which won it in the end dave one nil and then as normal, uh, Juventus strangled this one. Yeah, that's a great way to describe Juventus. I've been trying to search for a word for the last few weeks, Lawrence. Why didn't you just tell me this about you know a month ago? If you listen to the podcast, really... you've not been on it, Dave. I've been saying the word strangled quite consistently. You into strangling at the moment, Lawrence? That's one technique, Dave. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, I think, yeah, it's, it's a classic Juventus thing, strangling their opponents into death. Um, slow possession football when they've got a lead, killing teams out. It's, you know, it's a way to win titles, um, and it will, it will work this season. There's some Apparently, interesting rumours around. Yeah, go on. With um, Allegri going to Barcelona today, actually, ESPN reporting that he could be their next man. So it could be really, it could be quite interesting to see him over there to see how he takes this side and what he does with it. You know, that could be fascinating. I think the next, the most interesting thing in the summer is who's going to be Barcelona manager. That's what I want. I care about. I don't care about who's going to win the Premier League anymore. You don't? No, not bothered. Interesting. Some kind of, I mean, I'm, <laughs> not, I'm a little bit bothered. Um, what you bothered not- about your league, Lawrence? Uh, maybe uh, I'm Guillaume Balaguer today saying that it could be an is it Unzu Unzu the the guy who's uh, literally just behind Luis Enrique right now Juan Carlos Unzue who, who could be taking over at Barcelona although the problem would be that he's currently in the backroom staff and people don't seem particularly happy with the style of play although maybe people are saying that's Luis Enrique and it's not the, the guys behind him um, but apparently Luis Enrique's assistant could be one of the favourites. Could be quite interesting. I'd also be interested to see whether uh, Juventus are willing to let Allegri leave without having an almost ready-made replacement. Well, apparently there's rumours that Spalletti is going to Juve. So Spalletti's, you know, quotation marks has been has signed a pre-contract with Juve, and Juve are happy to let Allegri go. He's kind of fallen out with Benucci, potentially fallen out with some of the other players. So could be a real like swapping managers type summer. It I'm not sure that would be a good fit. Who, who are you going to swap Klopp for? No, I'll keep Klopp. Thanks, Dave. you got to swap him. Sorry, <laughs> you got to swap him. That's have not the to question. Swap him. You have to swap um, him for, for another manager in, let's say, like the you know Europe, Europa League Plus, so like Europa League, Champions League. You've got to take one manager to Liverpool. Cool, I'll take Pep Guardiola, thanks. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> no, interesting answer. Um, Nico's got uh, Jurgen Klopp, though. That's pretty decent. Nico, yeah, Nico I, I, like, uh, I like the Jurgen Klopp, yeah. I'm not sure there are many. I think there are a lot of people who maybe would like Allegri for the success, but I'm not sure many people would like Allegri for the style of play. 
I mean, they'd like him for the style of play, but they wouldn't. Uh, not met, he's not an English manager. In that, a lot of English managers at the moment like a rampant side. I don't feel like Allegri likes a rampant team. I'm told mm. by no, people who watch Juventus a lot that he likes them just to sort of he he, he almost takes great pleasure from them winning one or two nil. That's why I don't think that Spalletti is a is an adequate replacement for him. Why? The styles the styles of play don't really make sense because if you watch Roma this season, I'm not going to say they've been lucky, but a lot of the goals that they've scored haven't been of the system creating high fidelity chances. It's been a lot of crossing. It's been a lot of it's not really the possession football that Juventus probably want to have being the dominant force in in Serie A. It would it's in my opinion it would open up the league. Though Spalletti could do some great things with the the quality and caliber of player that Juventus have now. It would it would make Serie A a hell of a lot interesting because I don't think Alleg- or Spalletti, I'm sorry, could do as good of a job as, as Max Allegri is doing. You do also sort of wonder uh, who they would get rid of in that time. I wonder who would leave. Uh, I think there are probably a couple of people at that side that would be rotated out by a new manager. And we probably see an influx of some of those players into the Premier League. Uh, yeah. a, a team, basically, it's going to be a team built around Dybala, isn't it? Dybala and then Iguain because they've spent so much money. If he on doesn't them. leave, no, I mean, come on, they, they're going to. Yeah, I mean, they're going to build a team around those guys, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, you don't so, see Dybala leaving. You don't see Dybala leaving. Go, not, go yet. not yet. I don't know if I don't think I don't think Barcelona are ready for Dybala. I don't think Dybala is ready for Barcelona. Yet. I think he needs another two, three years. Maybe maybe two years. If you to play get FIFA, to that level, if you play FIFA, well, years. But, but why is that? Why why is he not ready, dude? I don't think he's. I think it's his consistency. Um, sometimes he's really in Juve games, like when he's playing, mm-hmm. especially in this new system that they're playing this four, sort of four-two-three-one, where he is a number ten and he's not playing yeah. as a striker. Some of the games, he just drifts through the games and he's not really creating things. If if people get touch tight to him and people get really physical with him, sometimes he comes a little bit too deep and he's not influencing the game at the right part. And I think it's it's that thing that maybe he's suited to play as a striker, not to play as a number ten. Exactly. So if you're Barcelona, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be Paul Merson and just say, oh, this, that and the other. And then you figured <laughs> out the transfer market. But I'm just saying, like, Luis Suarez, as good as he is, is getting up there in age. Right. And so if you're Barcelona, you're trying to plan for the future, especially in their last uh, summer of transfers. They tried to plan for the future by buying younger players. If you bring in a Dybala well. <laughs> and he can learn from the likes of Luis Suarez, I mean, wouldn't that be just perfect and a perfect plan and continuity? I think, I think at the moment Dybala needs to play every single week and at Barcelona he wouldn't have that for at yeah. least a season and uh, maybe a season and a half. That's why I think two years and it's perfect. Someone like Lacazette would be perfect right now because he instantly... Then you pay $200 million. You pay $200 yeah, million for Lacazette? Not like that. Dybala. Dybala's the, the after. Well, I think that's what the what the market is at the moment. I just think Dybala needs game time to get to his potential. I think Lacazette's already had that game time at Lyon, but he's at that level right now that could easily go in. I think it'd be a slightly... If I was Barcelona, I'd play it slightly a little bit slower. I think they, you know, shining like Andre Gomez that just hasn't worked out to them. But then on the flip side of that, you've got Samuel Mtiti. So their transfer policy has been really hit and miss in the last... Season. Lucas Lucas Dean has, hasn't hasn't uh, had the hit the ground running really either. No, he's, he's asked another player, you know, another youngster that was at PSG that. But he was good at Roma and PSG. I don't know if he was. I don't know if he was at that level of Barcelona. You know, you're looking at Jordi Alba, right? You know, that's the mm. level I've got yeah. to go at. It. Unfortunately, it's difficult to get to that level. Mm. Yeah, it's just an interesting proposition. Okay, fair. Um, <laughs> Dave, do you, uh, do you want to go to Bundes? The Bundesliga. Is it Should D- we talk Inter Torino, though? 
Oh, Ooh. yeah, sure. Let's talk into Serena. I mean, uh, Nick, Nico, uh, N, big N, uh, into Torino. We, um, what, let's talk about Condogbia and how he hasn't hit okay. the heights projected for him in Italian football. Yeah, I think go, going into it, he was, uh, he was praised as sort of a Yaya Toure light. Um, and he hasn't really, he hasn't really proven to be that player that's very good on the ball. We see uh, an Inter Milan team that likes to play four through three, four two three one, and Kondogbia is is the catalyst for moving the ball forward a lot of the time. But he was dispossessed a number of times uh, in this in this game versus Torino, which. Though Torino is a high-pressing team, it was really unbecoming of him and and consistent. He hasn't had the best time at Inter Milan, sort of mixed between how many managers have come and gone, Mancini uh, and and De Boer and now Pioli. Um, so it's it, Condogbia still has a chance to be the midfield dynamo that he was promised to be, sort of like a, a Yaya Toure, sort of Musa Dembele type player, but he definitely has has some work to do if he's going to achieve that level. But other players that I was impressed with was uh, Aqua, uh, who's a Torino midfielder, who's really powerful, not the best decision-making, but, um, but a solid player in central midfield. Uh, good to know about solid players in central midfield. There's very few of those in European <laughs> football right now. Um, Dave, now well, we, we, we forgot about uh, Gagliardini, though, Lawrence. He's, uh, that's the, that's the only name that Dave <laughs> pronounces correctly. That's the only reason that he wanted to say that. It's not because Gag- Gagliardini <laughs> is a good player. It's because that's the only player that Dave can actually pronounce his right, yeah. name right. <laughs> anyway, Lawrence, we can move on to the Bundesliga now if you want, mate. Dave, that was a great um, uh, joke, otherwise known as a gag. Gagliardini. <laughs> Um, Stop it. Anyway, Dave, go on. Talk to me about uh, Der Deal Das Bundesliga. Um, should we go with Das Bundesliga today? Actually, we're going to get some complaints if we mess about with the Bundesliga. I think it's Der. Dave, did you just call it if we mess about with the Bundesliga? <laughs> the Bundesliga. <laughs> you know what? Oh, there there are many times where Dave just does slip in. Instead of saying the, he says, I want to talk about the Bundesliga. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Oh, the Bundesliga this weekend. Um, there was, uh, was a few goals going around. Um, there's a lot of 1-0. One, one so we've seen goals galore in the Bundesliga in recent weeks, but Dortmund won 1-0. Won um, Wolfsburg won 1-0. Hoffenheim beat Bayer Leverkusen 1-0. Schalke beat Mainz 1-0. Bayern Munich beat Munchen Gladbach 1-0. Um, and there were 2-0-0 draws and 2-1-1 draws. And Cologne were the only team to score four, um, with Modest scoring another hat-trick. You know, the season of his life. 21 goals in the Bundesliga this season. Uh, the big one, obviously, Bayern Munich versus Gladbach was uh, won by a Thomas Muller goal. It's only his second of the season, but he's been contributing with assists, so we can't blame him too much. And a, a great, a great ball and, and move from from Thiago from deep in midfield, who was playing deeper, obviously with uh, Thomas Muller playing as a number ten. So this um, Carl Ancelotti team has a lot more flexibility than Pep Guardiola's team, in my personal opinion, just in terms of how they could attack a team, how they could break you down, um, just a bit more fluid uh, when it comes to stylistically. So yeah, it's uh, Bayern Munich's um, pretty much won the title as well with uh, with Leipzig losing three 0 to Werder Bremen. Leipzig playing a three four one two. They're trying to experiment at the moment. They're in a little bit of bad form, but in fact, Naby Keita collapsed last weekend. Um, potential heart issues, so he's out the side. Uh, they've lost uh, Paulson, who was a great leader of the press in the four four two. So they're struggling a little bit for a system and, and players and so forth because without uh, Keita playing central midfield they're a little bit too samey there they've got two aggressive players if um il sanker and uh diego demi are going to play in there they're quite t- they're quite similar in what they do they're quite you know they win the ball back and they need a little bit more from emil forsberg who was so good in the first half of the bundesliga season he needs to step up again start creating some goals for leipzig or the, potentially the, might drop below dortmund 
Pierre Emile Feuchberg. Uh, Feuchberg, the left winger. Ah, right. Not the same Feuchberg I was hoping it would be. But uh, never mind. Um, anyway, uh, let's let's continue. Uh, and let's go basically to the idea that it's the international break, guys. Disappointingly so for some people. Uh, but for other managers, it gives them some time to look at what's gone wrong so far. Uh, Dave and Nico, for which teams do you think this is going to be a welcome break? And for which teams do you think this is going to be an unwelcome break? For Arsenal? I mean, it's a difficult one for I mean, it almost gives uh, Arsenal Fan TV two weeks of great speculation, doesn't it? <laughs> gives them two weeks of no dollar, mate. <laughs> That's not a bad point, although you could go to the reserve games. <laughs> it's a bad point and get angry about the... Uh, angry about the reserve games and, and blame Wenger for that but no I think um, for Manchester United it's, it's a really good time United was starting to get a bit thin Paul Pogba had gone out for it had gone out injured Mkhitaryan Martial were rested against Middlesbrough so I think it's a perfect time to rest a few United players and give them a bit of time off but obviously they'll be jet setting around the world I think in terms of the the battle for relegation could be a really good moment for uh, Marcus Silva at, at Hull to try and get his methods across again I, I didn't even I didn't realise that he was so young and he's done so much already it's in incredible achievement and like Nico was saying it's, if Hull get relegated and they, they lose uh, Marcus Silva or he's got a clause in his contract you know so many Premier every single team let's say below the top six should be looking for Marcus Silva it's uh, pretty, you know. pretty interesting Dave I mean uh, how uh, the life of a player seems very short but the life of a manager now has been stretched a little while I mean you know uh, uh, you know uh, a manager's life starts at 40 yeah, almost it does, or even later than that. You look at some of the managers that we've got recently that have just hit their stride. You know, Yardin, Thomas Tufel, who were seen as the great young young up and managers. They're both only like I think Tufel's maybe forty three, and uh, Yardin's forty or forty one. So it is interesting that there are these great thinkers of the game that are so young. You know, imagine. Uh, how if they have like Alex Ferguson careers in a way maybe not staying at one club but that longevity of that lifespan what are they going to be doing at their end of the career it could be yeah. incredible like Thomas Tufel is a great innovator of the game like what could he be doing it when he's like 60 when he's had, had all this experience you know it's it's a great um, sort of thing and Nagelsmann 29 years old what's he going to be doing when he's 50 AVB is a great one who still is really yet, like, you know younger than 40 that said he was going to retire um, in the next 10 years because he's already done a lot in management and so forth so it's, it's a real interesting one going back to your initial <laughs> it's not, question it's not done a huge amount um, could be good for Swansea City as well to work with uh, Clement a bit more um, in the tactical Sam Allardyce is going to have a great time uh, with Palace working on set pieces and defensive structure so doesn't he lose all his good in players there there, just... I'm trying to think with Palace so the likes of Zaha is going to be there Benteke is uh, going to be gone though Sacco's probably going to be on international duty Zaka, I don't think he's in the French squad. Oh, good. Um, then, you know, the rest of the team, they are more, you know, lower end players, but you know, with someone like Sam Allardyce could pick up their level. So, yeah, I think that, I think there's some some clubs that are battling with relegation or above relegation that will find it really well. Middlesbrough, I think they're going to, I think it could have been better for them to try and just keep the momentum going or try and get a tiny bit of momentum up against Swansea next. So that's going to be a huge game. Nico, many games going on over in the States. Yeah, a lot of MLS going on. Um, What's going on in MLS like, this season? You you went to a game on the weekend, didn't you? 
I did. I went to Orlando City, which is actually really nice because uh, it's obviously my hometown, so it's good to go support your local club. And yes. they've actually – we have a soccer-only stadium now. Uh, we used to play in the Citrus Bowl, which was um, an American football stadium, and now there's the Orlando City actual soccer-only stadium. And what they've done, which is really uh, cool, is that uh, they have a safe standing um, section, oh. and it's sort of like the Borussia Dortmund, like 118th of the Borussia Dortmund, like yellow wall um, uh, sort of style size. Wall. Yeah, it's the purple one. There was uh, game one. There's if you Twitter search it. it. Uh, it's just, I think it's just, it's just called the wall. Like the, one of the themes as the team was coming up in the lower leagues was like man the wall or something like that. And the, the they tip. have really <laughs> the purple tip. Jeez, uh, but Maybe they have really fervent. Um, <laughs> they have really fervent. Um, uh, supporters, Orlando City, they consistently have some of the highest numbers in in MLS, especially as a as a new ex, or newer expansion team. So it was good to sit in the safe or stand in the safe standing section, and it was a really cool experience to to be a part of. Interesting, uh, and you went there and vlogged it. Yeah, I did. It should uh, maybe maybe the viewers can or the listeners can have a, a, can look forward to a video coming out later this week. Don't say maybe. Say certainly, Nico. <laughs> <laughs> certainly as soon as I get the edit done as soon as it gets that edit done if you need help with that let me know uh, Nico over there in the States as well Disney or at least ex-Disney uh, chief executives are taking interest in Portsmouth Michael Eisner uh, is apparently a, a billionaire whose uh, investment firm are looking at buying Portsmouth will the Mickey hmm. Mouse football continue we'll find out soon <laughs> <laughs> Just furiously Googled Michael Eisner. Uh, Weird looking guy. If we receive an offer, ultimately it will be for all our shareholders to decide if it's what's in the best cl- uh, club's best interests. Um, he looks like a little bit of a serial killer. He does. A little bit. I mean, he has serial, I, he has serial killer <laughs> eyes. He definitely has. I mean, he Crazy. definitely has empty eyes. I say, I'd say serial killer is a little far. Um, <laughs> Oops. He does have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, though, Dave. Oh, fair play. How do you yeah. get one of those? Um, you have Marcy, to, you Marcy, have to kill at least 10 director, people. Right? <laughs> but don't you have to have um, 13,000 subscribers or something like that on YouTube and you get it? So you should uh, have one then, Dave. Uh, no, I think you have to be more of a house and level and uh, Manchester United fan to get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame than that, Dave. <laughs> you're, way too, you're, you're way too much of a soldier ant in the Manchester yeah, United hierarchy. Day. One day. One day, one day. Uh, anyway, that that's all for this uh, TF3. If there are any headlines you want to see us covering during the international break, uh, do let us know. Please don't tweet any in. headlines. Any? He- well, I mean, I'm just interested in headlines. Um, you know, do you want to see us talk a little bit about Brexit? Um, someone did actually. <laughs> someone did do a really interesting tweet. They they were talking about whether um, Brexit and uh, the whole Donald Trump election thing would influence World Cup bids. And maybe we should uh, talk about that in the midweek uh, podcast. Let us know your no thoughts. politics, though, Lawrence. Well, no, I mean, uh, it's still fair to say, though, Dave, you can discuss those politics uh, and talk about whether other people see them favorably or not. Um, you know, like without expressing your own political views that, okay. you know, certain people... I mean, are. as we all know, as we all know, Lawrence, you're a big, uh, you're a big Donald Trump fan, right? And a huge Brexit voter. My drum, my my vote counts ten. Um, or, so, or, or some would say Wexit. Yeah. <laughs> some people would say Wexit, and then I believe it was actually at a, an MLS game where they had Wenger out banners. 
maybe that maybe they they sort of said to some of the local supporters watch a watch a premier league game and see what they hold up and then bring those same signs along and they were like oh cool this uh wengaroot thing sounds great <laughs> anyway uh it's it's been good to have you guys dave if people want to go find you they can go and find your daily podcast during the week and it is daily mm. and it is good yeah yeah on the, the statman dave football podcast available on itunes acast uh and not on youtube anymore unfortunately um it's been taken off the... depending on your perspective lawrence come on man people want to look at my face sure People don't want to look at my face. That's why it's been taken off YouTube. <laughs> Let's cancel it, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, check that out. Simple. Good. And of course, Nico. Yeah, you can find me at Nico underscore O'Morales on Twitter. Come join the discussion. Come tweet me abuse. Come check out my article. I'm looking for a right back for my uh, foot team at the moment on FIFA. Anyone got any uh, suggestions? He what needs, is a foot team? Uh, uh, it's like, you know, the ultimate team thing on FIFA. Oh, uh, right back? Um, oh, it's, it's tricky, I know. I need someone who's pacey. I'm, yeah, I'm struggling. Bellerin. Bellerin. Yeah, Bellerin's well on expensive. a bad shout. Wait, what nationality is Bellerin? Spanish. Ooh. Okay. Arie. is good. I need someone. Uh, Mascherano's on the right side of my defense. I need someone who's going to match up with him. Can you think of an Argentinian fullback? Um, Pablo Zabaleta. Yes, yeah. a good a good Argentinian <laughs> Pablo Zavaleta. Is he pacey? I don't think he's pacey enough. I don't. He used he... to be. If you can get like a like a five years younger Pablo Zavaleta, then you're, you're right. You're... Yeah, that's often what you can get on uh, FIFA Ultimate Team. Let's go five <laughs> years back. You're right. Uh, anyway, if you got, if any of you out there can think of a right back, I'd love to know. Um, and Dave, uh, one thing that Dave and I are going to do soon, which I actually quite like. Oh, well, actually, I won't say it on this because people listen to this podcast and then steal our ideas. Anyway, uh, it's been great <laughs> to have you guys. We'll see you guys later in the week uh, when we'll be talking to people in America who have been over there for trips and over there to see loved ones. We'll let you know which Adam is and which Chris is later in the week. Until then, uh, do be sure to follow us on Twitter. We'll see you guys on YouTube. And we'll see you again real soon right here on TF3. 